Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Oh, sorry about that. <clears throat> this heat kind of came out of nowhere. But you know what? Welcome back, everybody. Honestly, welcome back. It might be a little warm up, but it's still a beautiful day. There's a street fair going on around the corner from me. And, you know, just it's nice. It's a nice day. It's feeling good. Feeling good. So, yeah. Mm. Sorry. Excuse me for all this. I don't know. I'm feeling a little oof. So, recently, I just threw up a tweet on the Twitter mentioning about a hypothetical realism. All right. That games can give us. And... That might sound weird, and I know it sounds a little weird because I was trying to think of a better phrase to use, but I couldn't for the life of me. That's the best I could come up with. I'm serious, though. Thinking just recently about a number of games that have been coming out and certain things that happened in the past, you know, games have always provided this opportunity of escape. You know, you can go into some fantasy world and be a knight of great renown or a great wizard or be the villain or whatever. Like, games always just gave you that chance however also and some people have already done this and it's been done over years here and there i think it's coming more to light recently of games being an actual form of not so much education but an idea of what could happen answers to a a what if and pretty good answers on top of that so this whole thing of hypothetical realism of well, what if this thing did happen in our world? How would things react? And it's not so much like things that happen and characters designed to act a certain way. Also, I apologize if you're hearing horns, horns of cars because I'm on the first floor by the street side and some people don't know how to be patient. So I apologize for that. Back to the topic at hand. Games will come up with, like, let's say Dragon Age Origins. You know, there's Civil War breaks out, and there's this chance of annihilation at the hands of this great evil, right? And so characters are written a certain way to react a certain way, and certain things happen. But it still feels like a fantasy world. Like, oh, well, we're supposed to just win in the end. Like, no matter what, the hero will triumph, no matter how they are. And as much as, yeah, you could have the hypothetical of, like, well, what if the Civil War broke out during this great war... It's not all roses. Like, the hero will win in the end. Like, that's the point of the game. The hero will win. What if we had games that there was no definitive win condition where bad things could happen and game overs are likely to occur or just negative outcomes are more of a norm because you're not just the hero? I think a good example to start off our discussion of this whole hypothetical realism is something that happened in World of Warcraft back in in what was the date they had here 2005 back in 2005 all right some of you might have already known about this what happened back in wild classic but those of you who don't there was a thing called corrupted blood it was a plague that spread way back in wild classic there was a certain raid you can go on where you're with a bunch of people and you're fighting a bunch of enemies and a bunch of bosses and things like that one of the bosses spread this debuff and the debuff just did a decent amount of damage over time. Nothing like super deadly. It's enough to be worried about, especially when fighting a boss. But it also spread to those around you. It wasn't like an airborne plague. So if you got hit with corrupted blood, it could spread to those around you. 
And that was all part of the boss mechanic. It was meant to be in the game. Now, on top of that, the game had a couple fail-safes. Like, eventually, the debuff would end. And if people spread out, it wouldn't spread to one another because you're no longer nearby. And then there was, like, a boat you would take to go to leave the raid. And on that boat, the debuff would be weared off. you get cured or whatever. Like, there were some things in play in the game to just keep it in the dungeon, essentially. Like, it's only for that boss fight. Well, there was something that the guys over at Blizzard didn't account for, which happens when you're making a game as big as World of Warcraft. One, excuse me, corrupted blood spared no one. It could spread to anyone. Players, NPCs, children NPCs, pets or familiars that players controlled, anyone could get corrupted blood. And then following up with that, with that whole pet thing I mentioned, the hunters had a pet they could summon. And what was great about the pet is you could summon and dismiss your pet at will. So you could call it to your side at any time and then press the button again and dismiss them. So they just eventually just disappear into thin air. You know, it's, it's a game. That can happen. Now, back then, and I thought, I'm not sure if it's still around nowadays in current WoW, but when you dismissed your pet, debuffs would remain and the timer would freeze. Because when you debuff, when you dismissed your pet... Essentially, anything that was going on is paused. So any buffs or debuffs or whatever that was on your pet essentially became suspended. The timer stopped. And what ended up happening was somebody, well, while they were in the middle of the fight and their pet had corrupted blood, don't know if this was intentional or not, decided to dismiss their pet. Since the pet got dismissed, it kept corrupted blood. And now those fails are supposed to happen, like the timer running out, the boat, stuff like that was all skipped because the player dismissed their pet and then hearthed back. And for those of you who don't know, hearthing is just a teleportation that brings you back to the last place you rested at, which are inns. So instead of taking the boat back or whatever to do the normal fail to remove the plague, hearthing skipped that. that. That one trigger of this is where corrupted blood gets removed from you was totally skipped. And since the pet was dismissed, the timer was frozen. So all those fail that were in play to remove corrupted blood were bypassed, and then the player hearthed back to one of the major capitals. I think it started in Ironforge, which is one of the, ma- the major capitals for the dwarves and the gnomes, which is populated by hundreds of NPCs and tens of thousands of players at any given time. The player resummoned their pet, and the next thing you know, corrupted blood spread from the pet to the player to every other player to every NPC. It hit everyone. And as time went on, eventually... The cities became barren. Because Corrupted Blood did enough damage and would spread to nearby people, it would do an endless loop. Because something like the auction house or a store where the NPCs are stationary, they'd never move and they would stay by people. And so what would happen is it would just do an endless loop in that area until those people died. Eventually probably respawn, but then die again. And so skeletons littered all the major cities. And eventually players... In WoW, like in WoW itself, I'm not talking about the devs or anything, but actual players started to react. And you had what honestly probably would happen in a real-life situation like this. Some people decided to start spraying the plague willingly. They would get hit with corrupted blood, and then either if they were like a priest or paladin or they had a friend that was one, they would partner up and drop enough heals to keep themselves alive while infected to find like... A, you know, far out settlements and towns that weren't near the main cities to spread the plague there. 
Because then other players, what they started doing is they tried to set up safe havens. Like, they'd have players, high-level players, on guard, like, 24-7 at these settlements to kill anyone with corrupted blood that got near. And then if the it still spread, they'd have priests and stuff like that on hand to just try and remove the debuff or quarantine the person so it wouldn't spread and then keep them healed so they didn't die. Things that could feasibly happen in a real-life situation. Like, it did happen, like the Black Plague back in Europe, you know, in the medieval times. Things happen, you know. People try, they tried doing quarantines. They tried curing things, stuff like that. And, you know, recent outbreaks of various diseases, same thing. Trying to find a cure, quarantine, that kind of stuff. And some people just saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Let it spread. Like, these kind of things actually happen. And World of Warcraft, for a time, became an actual, like, testing ground of what what if like what if we had a modern plague spread and i think also what happened i'm not sure if it's like 100 true but i remember reading this years ago where players like the debuff would say on them when you were logged out like that's just again when you log out everything's paused for your character so they would log out of the character pay to have a realm transfer and then the plague went from just one realm that it happened in and started spreading to other realms because people would transfer their characters from realm to realm to realm and so there you go the plague started spreading so then eventually blizzard had to react you know they shut down realm transfer they started shutting off server after server removing the debuff from the code and changing the boss fight you know doing the things you have to code wise to fix things but think of this as a real life situation if we had a plague like this really spread those that are in charge and have the power we would like to think once they find a cure they would do that they would quarantine certain areas like certain states or countries or whatever and just do a mass cleansing spreading the the cure to remove the plague and waiting until they saw no signs of it remaining to then open up the borders again and start instilling practices to prevent it from happening again just like the guys at blizzard did with their code to clean up the game and what was awesome about this like why i think this is so important is this became an actual study like articles were actually written about what happened with corrupted blood and it got so popular to the point that actual colleges that studied you know plagues and epidemics and health and stuff like that you know i'm not sure exactly what the actual field of study is picked it up and oh here he goes epidemiologists actually used it as a case study like a legit case study of what if this actually happened and what could we do to help and i've actually met people like friends of friends and stuff like that that were studying epidemiology and we're just you know bsing and talking and whatever and yeah they brought up like yeah you know i actually remember that like i studied that like they never played wow but they read about it like it was actually used and i think it's like kind of amazing like i'm looking through these articles like diagrams were being made articles being written and published and all that kind of stuff of Hey, yeah, like this. This is kind of serious. Like, this this shit might actually. If the shit goes down, we need to know how to handle it properly, and that's why games are so great. Like, you know, World of Warcraft was not made for that to happen. Like, it was not built with the idea of, hey, let's sh- see what happens if a plague spreads. Like, that was never Blizzard's initial intent. It just happened to happen because the game is set up in such a free play kind of way, where characters just kind of do what they want within the realm of the game. And so what about now, as time goes on, you know, we have games that have better programming, are capable of, you know, bigger, more grander things in terms of, like, story and stuff like that. And I think 
it's coming to a time where more and more of that is able to be experienced in a way and like almost like studied, you know, questioned. Because again, it's a game. And as long as the player of the game keeps that separation between reality and fantasy, we have nothing to worry about. You know, that's always my side of the argument that it's not the game's all the problems. Like the person playing the game needs to be able to understand that what I'm doing in this game is fantasy. It is not real. It does not really reflect who I am, and I need to keep it that way. You know, I might play GTA and go driving around gunning people down and running hookers over, but that's in the game. You know, as a person, I will not do that. Like, you know, morally speaking and all that kind of stuff, you don't do that kind of stuff. So this is where I come into, like, these things like Cyberpunk 2077 has gotten a lot of publicity around certain things with, you know, the gangs and stuff like that and, you know, possible racism and et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, but what if? You know, it's it's almost sort of real nowadays. With, like, certain gangs and things like that only ask for certain people to be a part of it. So, like, I know the, uh, I think it's called, like, the Voodoo Bros, something like that, or the Voodoo Dudes, whatever, in Cyberpunk 2077 is mostly people of a certain ethnic background from, like, I think it's the Caribbean or something. And so some of the flashback was like, oh, that's racist. It's like, no, it's what we're doing is showing, like, yeah, there's a gang of refugees from a country that has pretty much been wiped out, and they're finding comfort within each other. Think of it like New York City when it was first becoming this grand metropolis, and a lot of immigrants were coming in. Little Italy, Chinatown, Little Korea, stuff like that. It's not so much that there was complete racism. Like, there always will be racism, yes. It's just people flock together with those they're familiar with. So Little China became a thing because a lot of Chinese immigrants, they found comfort with each other, and they were able to support each other. They understood each other's struggles. So boom, Little Italy, same thing. Little Korea, same thing. Like, these things happen, all right? I'm not saying it's perfect because, like I said, Racism is obviously a thing, and that stuff happened back then, which is partially why people find comfort around one another. It's like, hey, if I'm a Chinese immigrant, and I'm in a city where racism is present, yeah, I'm probably going to go to a place with other Chinese people, so I feel comfortable. It happens. So in Cyberpunk 2077, yeah, there's going to be the animals that are barbaric because they take a lot of drugs, but at least in terms of like ethnic background, they find comfort with one another because that's you support each other because you have similar stories. You come from a similar background. In a way. And that also makes me think of like the RPG Cyberpunk 2020. You know, the game is based off of. I started having a couple friends getting into the game. We were rolling up characters and stuff like that. And I'm finding it very fun because I'm creating these worlds of like, yeah, what if you were, you know, this black cop? Like my one friend, he wanted to be a cop. Cool. So he's rolling up his character and I have them roll for everything. Like ethnic background, all that kind of stuff. I have them roll all that stuff. He ended up being a black cop whose family came from a pirate fleet and they were all killed and he was the only survivor. I'm like, all right, what are you going to do now? So yeah, as much as him and I are not black, we're not cops and our families are certainly alive. It gives us a chance to kind of like explore. Yeah. Like, well, how would I react to that? I'm not saying that every person of that background would react the way my friend's about to react, it just gives us a chance as humans to look into another way. Because in something like cyberpunk, it's very gritty. It's very bad. And happy endings are not a thing. Pretty much everything cyberpunk related, bad shit happens. You know, you're looking for a, fin a faint glimmer of hope in just a sea of darkness and terrible things. 
So I'm like, okay, yeah, what are you going to do? You're, you're all alone now, and he got fired. Like, he no longer has a job. Like, when we were in this character role, that he didn't have a job. I'm like, what are you going to do? And he's like, like, I don't know. He's like sitting there, and he's stressed. Like, he's trying to figure out, like, what would I do in this situation? He's able to hypothetically think of, yeah, how, how would I go about handling this? I think it's, and I think it's amazing. Like, even some of my students, all right, that I, that I teach, some of them graduated, some of them are still in school. I showed them cyberpunk because I'm like, look, I've played D&D with them for a while. I feel they have a pretty good handle on the difference between realism and uh, fantasy. So it's like, let's try it out. And I introduced the game to them, and they started loving it. And, yeah, they're, they're also they're not in good positions. Like, a lot of them are tied to the mafia because they had to be and things like that. And I think they're handling it very well in terms of, like, yeah, this, this is what we got to do. Like, they're experiencing things that they would never have a chance to experience in the real world and question those things and learn from it. Like these are great learning experiences. Like people learn from corrupted blood and world of Warcraft. Like studies were made on that. And these games like cyberpunk 2020 and even 2077 give us a chance to learn and think like, yeah, these things sort of do happen. Like not on the level of cyberpunk. Like obviously we're not in this dystopian robotic future, but bad things do happen. Gang violence is a thing. Like, I'm reading this book called Sex, Money, and Murder, which is about a gang called Sex, Money, and Murder that rose to power in the Bronx from, like, the 1980s to the 1990s. And it was predominantly young black males from the projects were members of this gang because they wanted power, they wanted money, and that kind of stuff. And so, well, that happened. And it's a very interesting book. I'm really enjoying reading it. And then I'm reading it, and I'm thinking about, like, like I'm thinking about like Cyberpunk 2020. Like, yeah, I see, I can see how that stuff could happen. Like, in the rules of a game of an RPG, my friends, I'm immediately seeing like how I could tie in a story like Sex, Money, Murder into this game, and have my friends play it out. Like, yeah, what if you got caught up in these drug cartels and things went south? What if you came like my buddy who's a cop right now in the game? Your family got killed. You're on your own. How are you going to handle that? we can start questioning these things because yeah, it happens. You know, the, the things that happen in cyberpunk happen in real life. And I'm not saying when I say I love it, I'm not saying I love it because yes, people are dying and bad things are happening. I'm saying I love it because it gives people who might never understand it or even want to admit it's a thing, a chance to be like, yeah, like it is out there. You know, all these games come from somewhere like cyberpunk comes from an idea that was based in some sort of realism. Like, you read these things in the cyberpunk book, and you kind of see where it comes from. Like, just down to, like, the basics of combat. Like, yeah, getting shock. People die from shock. You get shot in the foot, it might not be fatal, but shock can overcome the body, and it could be fatal. You could be sent to the hospital, that kind of stuff. And they handle that in the book. Because usually when you play a game, it's like, yeah, I don't, like, yeah, I get stabbed a hundred times. You know? I'm playing D&D. I'm fighting dragons. It's fun. It's really fun. Yes. Though, I can't really fight a dragon and get bit five times with giant jaws and live. Not easily, anyway. And there was another game. You know, I talked about the other week with Phoenix Point. I gushed a lot about Phoenix Point last week and stuff that's good in it and things like that. Though, I think one thing I didn't really highlight on it was also that hypothetical realism. Uh, a what if, what if suddenly 
our planet is facing this apocalyptic event of a virus that spreads and mutates to create this new race, essentially, that is taking over the planet. What would happen? You know, it's, it's ba- you know the guys that making it worked on XCOM, and so there are things based on XCOM in it. Though I feel like XCOM didn't have that complete realism behind it. Yeah, there was an alien invasion, but let's be real here. Not everyone would be backing the XCOM project. Like, the game starts out with all the countries backing XCOM, and it's up to you to keep their support, because eventually they lose faith if you fuck up enough, which happens. But I don't think, like, every country would be 100% backing somebody. You know, like, Independence Day. That mo- is a good movie. And it's something like everyone's, you know, the aliens are invading, and everyone's, like, all buddy both each other and fighting together and using the same tactics. Yeah, it's great to see that, because we want the heroes to win. But would that really happen? I don't know. I don't think so. Because look at just how the politics of our own country is run in the United States. It's, there's a lot of debates. There's a lot of conflicting ideas. There's a lot of give and take and pushing back and forth between the parties of just one country. So how could we possibly imagine all countries coming together that have all sorts of different views and opinions and ways of handling things? And that's why I kind of like Phoenix Point. Because in Phoenix Point, yeah, you're part of the Phoenix Project, and you're trying to find a way to survive. Like, you're trying to find a way to fight back against the Pandorians and this virus that's spreading. Though there's no guarantee about it. There really isn't. You know, you could potentially lose. Like, the game has, has a losing condition that's very apparent. And it shows constantly with the misspreading and everything. And the percentage at the top slowly rising before humanity is all lost. So you would think, you would like to think that with that happening all remaining humans would start to band together to try and fight it. Because, again, you're just one small group of a couple soldiers and scientists trying to deal with this, and there are other three big factors at play. Cinderium, New Jericho, and the Disciples of Enlu. You would think we'd band together, and, you know, humans would fight a common cause. Nope, that doesn't fucking happen. You know, you got New Jericho, who are kind of radicals. They're Earth is for humans, and we must survive by taking back the planet. So... It's all just war, war, war. Build guns, build bigger guns, blow everything up and take it back. All right? And then you have Sindarion, who's kind of more like, they're like scientific diplomacy. And that's why I don't like them. They have a scientific mind. Like, they make laser technology, which is pretty cool and everything. But they have a whole council that runs their, you know, their group, their faction is run by a council. And it's all like, well, what if the Pandorians are actually, you know, like, sentient creatures that we should learn to live alongside of and welcome them to our council. Yeah, like, no. Like, I, I believe firmly that Cinderion was wrong. I 100% believe that Cinderion is wrong in what they're doing. Like, that is not the way. Like, these are obviously creatures that are coming out to take over the planet. It's a virus looking to wipe out the human race. There's no way of living peacefully with it. There just isn't. And I firmly believe that. And then there's Disciples of Anu... Which I'm looking into my current playthrough on the ba- on the backer build. I'm simply doing it because I'm curious how their tech works. They believe in a unification, embracing the virus in a way that they still retain their humanity. So they're able to. They have found a way to take mutagens from the Pandorians and then mutate the human body, make it stronger, make it faster, make it be able to regenerate from wounds quicker. You know things like that. And essentially, not so much ally with the Pandorians, but learn to survive through the virus. And essentially, 
fight back the Pandorians, obviously, because they are these humanoid creatures trying to kill us. But in terms of, like, New Jericho has this plan to wipe out everything and take over, you know, humans once again as a dominant species. Disciples of New are like, no, we have to change. Like, essentially, it's the next step of evolution. They believe in evolution and saying, hey, obviously, this virus is the next step. So let us embrace it and learn to be one with it so the human race can survive. And I think that is very realistic in terms of, yes, what would happen in if an epidemic broke out. If an epidemic broke out on the planet or there was some sort of invasion of the planet that most of the world powers were wiped out and there wasn't a global leadership, that, yes, the remaining survivors would obviously break up into factions. And as much as I don't really like The Walking Dead at all, like I like season one, but I think after season one it's hard to fall apart. I think it did very well with that also. You know, showing these different settlements, these different towns dotted around the planet during the zombie apocalypse. And they all act differently. You know, different people get into power and have different beliefs. And, hey, you know, when you're looking to survive and there's a person that's offering food and shelter and protection, you know, maybe you'll just listen to the craziness they have to say. Like, maybe you just believe what they have to say because, hey, they've lived. They're surviving so far, so they might be right. And so you follow them. So we have Phoenix Point with all these different factions fighting each other. Like, they're physically fighting one another. I could see that being a thing. Like, I could see people, you know, speaking doomsday and believing that, yes, if there was a virus that was spreading, that the answer is to welcome it and find a way to work around it. And there'd be the people who are definitely saying, no, we have to find a cure. You know, the only way to do is just to find a cure. And that's that. Without a cure, we're lost. And then there'll always be like those, you know, those military heads, those guys with the guns that believe you can destroy anything with firepower. And you know what? Maybe they you know one of them's right. One of them has to be right. Maybe there's an answer within one of them. We don't know. We we definitely don't know, which is why this is hypothetical, though I feel there's a lot of realism built into it. And what's a very, very kind of almost challenging thing to make is I'm playing this backer build so far of Phoenix Point. And each faction, you can develop a relationship with them, a positive negative relationship, and eventually become allied with them where they fully support the Phoenix Project. Well, because I was so interested in Disciples of Anu and what I could do with the mutations, I kind of focused them first. I found, I mean, it's not a glitch, but an exploit in the game where you get uh, points with a haven or a faction every time you protect one of their havens from attack. And then they're like, okay, we like you more. Well, I found a place for the disciples of Anu that was very close to a Pandoran nest. And I know, but you want to destroy the nest. Like, that's where the Pandorian is coming from. Destroy the nest to make the area safe. I'm like, nah, I want to befriend these guys. So I left the nest because the nest would constantly attack the haven. And I'd go and then protect the people. And next thing you know, I have a great relationship with them because I let the same haven get attacked over and over again and conveniently come and save them. Yeah, it's like this really nasty complex. Like the firefighter who starts fires. So that way he can then go and save people from it. Kind of thing. I know they did... Um, Criminal Minds did an episode like that, where it was this deranged firefighter who would set fires in buildings so he could go and save the people and be a hero. I'm kind of doing that in the game so I can get relationships with them. Well, I'm at the very end. I'm up because you have to do three quests to build relationships. So first one is just you develop like the first mission is like, okay, we're cool with each other. The next mission is, okay, let's make a pack with one another and share research and supplies. And the third one is after the third quest, it's no, we fully support you. We are 100% allies. Well, I hit the limit 
before being allies with them. And you can't go further until you complete the mission. So I'm at 75% with them. 75% positive. And it's, I'm ready to be allies with them. And they message me and say, it is time for a test of faith. Because they're religious guys. You know, They have this religious belief. Like, it is time for a test of faith. To show that you are one with us and you believe in what we believe, you must go and destroy Sindario. They targeted a haven. That's within because like each faction kind of has certain territory where they have a lot of havens clustered together. Where there was a section in Africa that had a lot of disciples of Anu, and there was a Sindarion haven in the middle. And so, like, go and wipe these heathens out. They call them heathens, like saying, "Hey, they are these scientific people that believe in curing this. They're you know they're practicing the old ways, the old gods, and everything. That it's that's not the way anymore. Show them they are wrong and wipe them out." And that is what the disciples of Anu are telling me to become allies with them. So they're saying, hey, go kill these humans that are doing something different than us to prove your loyalty to us. Now, going back to something like Sex, Money, and Murder in the book I'm reading, those things happen where, you know, they're talking about uh, the rise of the Bloods and people want to earn ranking in the Bloods and get some respect within the gang. Well, some of the initiations was, yeah, just killing people. Like, you must kill someone and get, get bodies, get a body count. And now in this game, I'm just like, yeah, you want to be honest with us? Well, go kill these people. Go go ahead and murder them, and we'll be friends with one another. And I'm sitting there like, in terms of the game, I'm like, okay, I really want to see what else I can do with the disciples, so I'm going to do it. 100%. And I already mentioned before that I don't really believe in Sundario's solution. I don't think they're the right ones in terms of the solution. However, me as a person, as a human being, thinking about these scenarios... I wouldn't want to do this. I'm thinking like, hey, as much as Cinderio might not be right, I think it's just important that we pull our resources anyway, that we work together regardless to at least try and do something, to at least survive long enough to get a solution because the Pandorian mist is spreading constantly. And, well, the Pandorians don't care for anyone. They'll kill disciples of a new Cinderio, new Jericho, Phoenix Project. They don't care. They'll kill anyone they can. So I'd much rather us just work together real quick to at least buy us some time and then dispute over what the right solution is. Killing each other is not the answer. That's my belief. So in terms of like playing this game, yes, deep down, I don't want to do this. I would much rather just leave Disciples of Anu at 75 and leave it. But in terms of just gameplay mechanics, I'm curious what else Disciples of Anu has for me. So I'm going to follow through with it out of that curiosity. But my next playthrough, I won't have to do that. I'm like, no, my next playthrough, I'll do it differently. You know, maybe I'll join up with Sendario and see what they have to offer me. Or maybe I'll try and be neutral and just be kind of have a pact with everyone, but not really ally with anyone specifically and let them kind of deal with each other and just use what I can from each of them to try and come up with a solution to the problem. And like I said, that's our hypothetical realism. Things happen in the world already. Bad things definitely happen in the world. There's no questioning that whatsoever. So when you get a chance to play a game, you get to think that, yeah, how would this happen? How would this look? How would this feel? Like Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice. What would it be like to have some form of mental illness? Or at least what would it be like going through this hellscape to find someone you love? How would that feel? How would that look? What kind of stresses would I go through with that? Games have a chance to have this very unique balance where, yes, it is fantasy. It's not real at all. Even VR, you know, VR has that realistic feeling because of the headset and you're kind of blocked out from everything around you. 
though it's still a form of fantasy. Every game's that way. Though they can push the boundaries a little bit of addressing certain things. Like I said, like that what if, like, yeah, in Cyberpunk, what if we fell into this dystopian lifestyle? You know, like Akira. Akira? Akira. You know, very famous anime movie. Loved it. It's cyberpunk-like and saying, yeah, Neo-Tokyo, Japan. What What if? You know, how would this work out? How would this look? You get to play that instead. Like in cyberpunk, you get to play that out. Instead of watching it, you get to play it out and be like, yeah, this is how would I handle this? How would I go about doing these things? And I feel like almost, you know, they already did it on Corrupted Blood. They made a study out of it. I feel like you could take certain games like Phoenix Point, like cyberpunk and other things and turn it into a study and have people play the game and collect data and be like, you know, have people answer, like have do an interview or something like that where people talk about like their experiences and the way they reacted in the game and like the choices they made, like why did you make that choice? And see, like, I feel a lot of the times in games that give choices, at least for the first playthrough of a game, people will pick the choice that reflects their opinions and their morals the most. I remember playing through Dragon Age Origins, Mass Effect, heck even... Uh, what was the other game? Wow, I missed it. It totally blanked, you know. But, like, other RPG games where my first playthrough, I'd be like, I want to play the way I would be in the situation. Like, if I was Commander Shepard, how would I act? Like, yes, I'm going to try and befriend everybody. I want people, I want the support of my crew. I want to be on their good side because I know that they'll have my back. You know, that kind of stuff. And then after the first playthrough, like, okay, what achievements am I missing? And then I go achievement hunting and I do, like, I'd be a jackass and stuff like that because there are achievements to acting certain ways. So I feel like if people were to conduct the study, like, yeah, you do a blind study with these people playing these games that never really played them before, even for, like, a short time, and then interview them, like, why did you make that decision? And I'd be willing to bet that people who play a game blind that have choices or moral questions, those people are picking the things that reflect them the best, reflect them the most, all right? Which, of course, is a complete contradiction to what I'm doing with Disciples of the New right now. So there's that. This is my second playthrough of Phoenix Point. I trashed my first playthrough because I knew it wasn't working out. And my first playthrough, I buddied with Sendario, and I just kind of like I was starting to buddy with New Jericho and Disciples of New. I'm like, okay, cool, but I'm already over here doing this thing that's kind of working. So I'm gonna, I'm just gonna like we're gonna play it cool for now, you know. Anyway, I like it. I like that we have this opportunity nowadays, and I think it's important that we look into it. That. We use it less as a scapegoat. You know, stop using it as a scapegoat and start using it as a way to really understand why. Like, why do people do this? Why do people think this? Why do they behave this way? Why do they make these choices? The, it's there. Like, we're able to do it. We just need to let it, like, actually follow up with it. Give us a chance to do it. You know, I think the great thing was, um, famous actor. Can't remember how to pronounce his last name because it's with an M and it's like, it's very lengthy. Okay, but he's a famous actor. I think he was in True Blood, and I remember reading an article and watching a video where he went to a children's hospital. All right, kids that are you know having cancer or other just really really bad situations, and he taught them how to play D and D, and it's so heartwarming watching that video because the kids are allowed to be that person they never got to be. Like, hey, what if you grew up to be a big strong adult? Yeah, what would you do? Like, the kids get to play out these fantasies and kind of forget who they are for a moment and embrace another life. 
even though it's slightly fantasy, yeah, the kids get to play. I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm a nice, healthy, grown adult. I get to do what I want to do. Something these kids may never have a chance to really experience. It was heartwarming watching that video and just seeing how those kids reacted. So it's there. And in terms of adults, like I said, we can see how adults would do certain things. We can see how certain plagues would play out. Like Plague Inc., I think, is another great example of it. Plague Inc., where you're trying to be the virus and the world's reacting. And I know, like, the biggest joke was it was so hard to infect, like, Greenland and Madagascar because they're on an island and they're quick to shut off their borders. Well, I think that would be a real thing. Like, listen, there's an a virus that's spreading from person to person through blood or something like that, and I'm an island all on our own, hell yeah, we're going to quarantine the island, cut off access to everyone else, because guess what? Now you can't touch us. You know, it has to be like airborne or something for it to spread to us. There's some realism. There's some ideas of like, hey, yeah, how would this happen? Like if this, if we made this virus that you were vomiting blood and then died within a week and it was airborne, how might the public react to that? Good. It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to kind of investigate and study. It's a, it's a medium that we can do so much with, with games. Nowadays, with the technology we have and with the creative minds behind it, with all these different studios we have out there, I think it's time that we open up the floodgates. So, yes, they're still profiting games. Don't get me wrong. But what else? Like, let's look at something that's more than just the profit. What other bonuses can we get out of games? All right. So I'm going to leave you with that. Like I, I wanted to leave it like that. How far games can go in asking questions and having a realistic response to it. Because there's really no other way to go about doing it. I was at, I got someone for jury duty the other week. They didn't pick me to be a juror. So I didn't get on the case. Though, to make sure they have the best kind of jury for the case. Of course, the lawyers ask hypothetical questions. And it's really hard to answer a hypothetical question because I'm just asking you a question like saying, well, what if you were in this situation? Well, since I'm not actually experiencing it, how truthful can I answer the question? When you're playing a game, it can ask you the same question the lawyer did, but since you're actually having to react to it and be a part of it, you're going to have a more truthful answer because I'm actually having to interact with what's going down. Keep that in mind. Think think about it. Check out some of these games. Like I said, Phoenix Point, I already talked about it. Maybe check it out. All right? Honestly, read. I'll, I'll post a link to one of the uh, World of Warcraft articles about what happened with Corrupted Blood. Give it a read. See what it was all about. Watch the videos. It's pretty cool stuff. You know, look, look at these kind of things and just – I want you to think about it. I want you to, you know, ask these questions and kind of think about it in your circle. And, hell, if you're in college and you're studying certain things like psychology – anthropology, epidemiology, something like that, maybe it's something to bring up with your professor in class and be like, hey, let me ask this question. Like, is this a thing? Could this be a thing? Like, how much do you believe this? And get get the conversation going. I think it's very healthy. It's a very healthy thing to do to ask these tough questions because sooner or later, they could very well be real, and it's better that we address it now rather than wait for something to happen. Be proactive, not reactive. That's going to be the end of my rant for today. Thank you all for listening, as always. All right. Uh, I know I have the Facebook page, and it's been kind of dying off recently because I just got the Twitter now, and I found just, even though I have to use my computer for Twitter and Facebook because I don't have a smartphone, I just find hopping on Twitter, going type to type, and hitting enter, 
it just seems to be smoother for me right now, especially with work going on again. So we'll see about the Facebook page. Maybe do something with it. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know yet. So keep posted on that. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Enjoy your week. And, you know, I'll see you all next Sunday, the last weekend in September. So until then, take care.